Good to worship with you this morning, isn't it? Amen. 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 A couple of announcements I want to let you know about um, this morning as we, um, as we uh, gather together here in this place. You may be seated, by the way. Hey, first of all, um, if, you, uh, if you are new here today, we would love to meet you. Um, just make your way out to the lobby. There's a table out there, um, opportunity for us to answer any questions you have about the church. So um, just jump out there and we would love to meet you. If you're watching online, there's a button that says new here. Just click that and that's the way that we can connect with you this morning. If you are not in one of our small groups, we really encourage you to jump into one of those. Those are the place where we can do life together, um, study scripture, and just get connected. So if you're not in one of our groups, it's really easy to do that. Um, just again, stop by the table on the way out. We'll give you all the information you want about that. Also online, you can click on a button too, and we'll let you know about how to jump into um, one of our small groups. Hey, next weekend um, is one of our favorite weekends around this place, and that is Baptism Weekend, okay? Um, it's an incredible, yeah, you gotta give it up for that. Um, it's amazing um, just to, to hear the stories and to see the people that follow the Lord in water baptism, an incredible weekend. Um, if you've been thinking about that, if you've never been baptized um, and you wanna be baptized, um, we encourage you to do that. Um, it's very easy to do, just get on the website and register, we'll get a hold of you um, and give you some more information about that um, during the course of the week. But next weekend, um, baptism weekend here at Fairfax. Um, wanna take the chance here to thank you for your generous support of the mission of this church. Um, we can't do anything without you and so we really, really appreciate it. Super easy to give if you're not part of that and you wanna become part of that. You can give online through the church app. There's some boxes in the back. Um, it's a really easy way to do that. So we encourage you to give um, and help us do big things um, around this community and the world. Um, how many of you are here for Easter weekend, last weekend? Raise your hand, okay. Um, we had 78 services. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, something like that. It's, it was, it was, there's a lot, okay, it was a lot. I think it was maybe actually five, but it, I think it was five, between five and 78, somewhere in there. Um, but it was an incredible weekend. And you know, when you're at one service, you kind of see what goes on, but you don't get to see everything at every service, right? Probably none of you came to all five. And so um, we did some videotaping, have an incredible experience last weekend. We just wanna show you um, what Easter was like for different folks last weekend. So um, check out this video. And again, it's great to worship with this morning. Welcome again to Fairfax Church. so funny with his numbers. It wasn't actually 78. It was 105 services that we had last weekend. 
And uh, God was at work in just some amazing, amazing ways. We had a lot of folks uh, that were in this space or watching online that made commitments to follow Jesus, make him their Lord and Savior. We're just so thankful for that. And, and um, God was just at work in just some really, really cool ways. Uh, before I, uh, we're starting a new series this weekend, but before I, I uh, jump into that, um, I, uh, so on Tuesday of this week, I got my uh, COVID vaccination. And it was the first shot, you know, it's a two-shot thing uh, that I uh, was participating in. And so I got the first shot and, and uh, it was easy peasy. It was no problem, no kind of reaction, none of that. Uh, the person, the woman that was giving me the shot, one of the things that she said to me is she goes, you may experience some achiness and some tiredness. And I said, you've just described my normal day. Like just at this stage of life, like that's just normal. I don't know that I would recognize it, you know, but uh, so I'm thankful that uh, I was able to do that. And I just wanna say a word about uh, just this whole thing. You know, you know that in a few days in Virginia, everyone 16 years of age and older is gonna be able to register to get vaccinated. And um, I'm just so thankful. I just wanna express how thankful I am for so many things. I'm thankful for um, people that have used their gifts and talents and passions and ability and training uh, that God has given them, whether they recognize that these were given by God or not, that God has given them to develop these vaccines. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that they're so available to us. I'm so thankful for the lives that will be saved because of this. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity for us to kind of move back um, at some point into just a little bit more normalcy in terms of our gathering and our worship gathering. And I'm so excited about that, so thankful about that. Our prayer, my prayer, um, is that the vast majority of our congregation is gonna be fully, fully vaccinated by the end of June. That's what I've been praying and hoping for. And uh, we wanna just uh, be helpful in whatever way that we can. We know that for some navigating um, just the options. There are a variety of different options out there in terms of like getting vaccinated and all that and just registering can be a little overwhelming at times. And so we've kind of put together a hotline for that. And uh, so there's a phone number that you can call or text 703-646-0736 or you can email vaccination at fairfax.cc. And either way, whether you text the number, call the number, or uh, you send an email, there's gonna be a live person, a real person on the other side of that who will just follow up. All you need to do, you don't need to give a lot of explanation. If you send an email, just say, hey, can you just give me a little help here? And uh, someone will, will be there just to kind of walk you through that and even help you get registered. And uh, I know even for me and the different options that I have, sometimes it was a little confusing and I got on a number of different lists and got canceled off a bunch of different lists, all that. We just wanna help people with that, make it as easy as possible and uh, to be able to move into kind of this new season for us as a church. Okay, so we're starting a new series uh, today that's called Witness. And it's, uh, it's an 11 week series in the book of Acts. And you know, we, we, it's really interesting. You know, we have tended in the past to do like shorter series and it feels like just in my soul, I'm wanting to do longer and longer series to be able with these longer books, these bigger books to kind of dive into them and get past the surface and, and really to kind of dig in. And so this is gonna go till the third week of June and we're just gonna kind of dig in to the book of Acts. And if you're wondering kind of what the book of Acts is and the context for that, it's, it's the perfect study for right after Easter. 
because that's really what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is about what happens after the resurrection. So you read through Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get to the end of it, you get the resurrection of Jesus, and, and then you go, what happened next? Well, Acts is what happened next. And so we're gonna be looking at kind of the life of the church and the living out of the resurrection that takes place. So it's an incredible thing. It's about how the church was launched, and it's about how it was transformed from this little Jewish sect into this multi-ethnic, multicultural global movement where everyone was invited and everyone was welcome to participate in. And Acts was written by uh, Luke. And Luke is the same Luke that wrote Dr. Luke, a physician that wrote the gospel of Luke. And it's actually, Acts is actually part two, the installment two of a two book series that Luke wrote. So the first book was Luke and the second book was Acts. And uh, this is how the book starts. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven <clears throat> after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So both Luke, if you go to Luke and you read the beginning of Luke, it says the same thing too. Theophilus, you get to Acts, and first verse is to Theophilus. And we don't know a lot about who this guy Theophilus was, but given the fact that he's the personal recipient of two books, it's pretty likely that he was a highly educated guy. He had some power, some influence in the community, probably uh, was affluent or relatively affluent. In other words, he was like a lot of people who live in the DC metro areas, kind of that demographic. And Theophilus is probably somewhat of a skeptic. He's probably like, we don't know exactly where he was in his faith, but given the fact that Luke is writing to him, given the fact that he's interested in knowing about Jesus, but Luke is so clearly trying to compel him with the gospel, he's probably a skeptic that is trying to connect all the dots, not quite sure about all this, but is wanting to examine it a little bit more. So even though Acts is a great book for Christians to kind of study um, what the church was intended to be, what the church can be again when Jesus is at the center of the church, it's also a great book for skeptics to study because it was written to a skeptic. Like it was like, if you're kind of at this point as I'm not quite sure about all of this or about at least it becoming more personal to me, like this was a book that was written to you. So it's a great book for the church to study. It's also a great book for those who are trying to figure things out to study. One of the things that a lot of people forget is that even after the resurrection, there were still a lot of skeptics concerning Jesus and his resurrection. And you see that as you look at verse three. It says, after his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So think about that. After his resurrection, Jesus spends 40 days 40 days just trying to convince people that he's alive. Like 40 days doing stuff says that he did convincing stuff, whatever that, I mean, I would think being resurrected and like going, here I am would be convincing enough, but apparently not. So for 40 days, he's having to convince people that he, and some of these are folks that have been following him all along. He's trying to convince them that he is really alive. 
Sometimes we look at these pre-modern Greco-Roman Jews and we think that there weren't a lot of skeptics there about the resurrection because they were just a bunch of superstitious people, way more gullible than we are. They would believe about anything. They would accept anything. They were all into whatever it was. But that view is culturally, like if you have that view about these pre-modern Greco-Roman Jews, that view at its best is culturally naive. At its worst, it's culturally imperialistic because this group of people actually had no theological framework, no framework for believing that allowed them to believe an individual could be raised from the dead in the middle of history. Some believe that there would be like this general resurrection at the end of the age and everyone would be resurrected, but nothing like this. N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorite authors, he writes in his book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, which I would recommend to you. He says, these people were the least likely to believe that actually in the middle of history, a bodily resurrection of a particular individual could possibly happen. So these Greco-Roman Jews had as big a problem believing in the resurrection as skeptics in a scientific age do. And that's why Jesus had to spend 40 days just convincing them that he was alive because there was a lot of skeptics among them. The other thing that we're told that Jesus did during these 40 days after his resurrection is he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus had clearly focused on preparing the disciples to advance this kingdom. And that's what he's doing here at the beginning of Acts. He's preparing his disciples to advance this kingdom that he's been talking about for three plus years. He's been demonstrating through signs and miracles. He's been now teaching it for 40 days as the resurrected Christ. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God and he's trying to prepare them to be his witnesses. And this is what we're told. We're told that on, in verse four, on one occasion while he was eating with them, this is during this 40 day period, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father has promised, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that you read that and you go, okay, maybe I'm familiar with that. And and he told him to stay in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. And I kind of get that that's kind of where this is headed. What's interesting and what we sometimes miss is how the disciples initially respond to what Jesus said, look at verse six. So when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to the nation of Israel? In other words, they're asking Jesus, is this the time when you're gonna throw out the oppressive Roman government and make Israel an autonomous Jewish nation again? Is this when you're gonna give Israel more military power and more political power in the world? Is this when you're gonna make Israel prosperous again and awesome again? Think about that. After everything Jesus has taught them over three years, after watching Jesus die on the cross and rise from the grave, after listening to Jesus teach for 40 days about the kingdom, the resurrected Jesus speaking about the kingdom, 
They still think the kingdom of God is about the nation of Israel becoming a world power. That's still where their mind is, that this is about nationalistic Israel becoming a world power. So look at how Jesus responds. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, I love, I love this dynamic. I love this response of Jesus. So the disciples wanted a kingdom that was nationalistic. They wanted a kingdom where it was all about making the nation great. They, they wanted that. That's what they were looking for. They said, Can we, we want to make Israel great. And they were looking for a kingdom that could make Israel great. They wanted a kingdom that was ethnically the same. They wanted a kingdom that excluded other ethnicities. They, they wanted a kingdom that was focused on a particular piece of real estate. In that case, Palestine. They wanted a kingdom that had boundaries and borders that could be defended so they could keep the Romans out and they could keep anyone else out who threatened their existence. Like that's what they wanted. And Jesus says, guys, that's not the kind of kingdom that I'm talking about. It's not the kind of kingdom I've been talking about for the last three plus years. It's not the kind of kingdom that I came and died on the cross for. It's not the kind of kingdom that I rose to the grave for. It's not the kind of kingdom I've been teaching you about over the last 40 days. That is not the kind of kingdom I'm talking about. I'm talking about a kingdom that has already come. I'm talking about a kingdom that was established the moment I started my ministry. I'm talking about a kingdom that was made victorious by my death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. I'm talking about a kingdom that is redeeming and restoring everything, everything, everything that has been broken and damaged by sin. And yes, that kingdom will come in all of its fullness, Jesus is saying, at the end of the age, when I return, but I don't want you to worry about that right now. I want you to focus on the mission that is right in front of you. Don't be focused on what's out there. I want you to be focused on the mission that I've set right before you here, and that is to be my witnesses right now in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And then here's the part that I really love. After he says that, he says, here's the mission. The mission is I'm, I'm, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth, and then he just leaves. The Bible calls it the ascension, but he just leaves. It's like the greatest mic drop moment in the history of the world. Like he, he's been with the disciples. They've seen all of this. They've heard all of this. He's rose from the grave. He's taught them for 40 days more about the kingdom. They still don't get it. They truly still don't get it. And he just goes, you don't get it. Here's what it's about. I'm out of here. And he just, he just takes off. They don't see him anymore. It's just this incredible, incredible moment. It's just awesome. Now, let me mention four things I think God is teaching us in this passage. First is this. Don't get so preoccupied with what's next that you miss what's now. <laughs> don't get so preoccupied with what's next that you miss what's now. Sometimes we get as preoccupied as disciples on like what the future is going to look like. 
for us. And I do as well. I know all of us struggle with that. We just get preoccupied with what the future is gonna look like. Now, for most of you, you're probably not losing any sleep at night worrying about or obsessing about when the world is going to end. I just have a guess that that's not the thing that's keeping most of you up at night. But you may be obsessing over other stuff. You may be obsessing over what you're gonna do after you graduate from college, or you may be obsessing on when you're gonna get married, or maybe obsessing on should you even get married, or you may be obsessing over your, tra your career trajectory, and if your career trajectory is going to get you where you want to get in your vocation, and are you moving fast enough, and have you taken enough steps, or you may be obsessing over how soon you can retire and get out of this rat race because you're so stinking tired of everything you're going. Like you may be obsessing over other kinds of stuff, and it's not that those questions are unimportant or that we should never think about them, but I think what Jesus is saying here is that you're not going to get to what's next by obsessing over what's next. Like that's not the way, it's not, that, it's not that what's next doesn't matter, it's just that I think Jesus is saying here, you're not going to get to what's next by obsessing over what's next. You're gonna get to what's next by focusing on what I've set before you now. So when Jesus says to the disciples, it's not for you to know the times, the dates that the Father has set concerning what's next, I think what he's saying to them is, yes, guys, there's a next, and it's awesome, it's incredible, it's epic, but I want you to trust the next to me and focus on the things that I've set before you now. So don't get preoccupied with what's next. Don't get so preoccupied with that that you miss what's now. I think some people, you know, I've gone through seasons where I've, gotten so obsessed with what's next that I just missed the moment. And, and, and some of you have probably gone through seasons like that. Some of you may be in one of those seasons right now where you're so obsessed with what's next that you, you're kind of missing what's now. Here's a tragedy. Some people actually spend most of their lives in that mode. Some people never get around to really living because they're constantly preparing to live. They're so focused on what's next that they just keep missing what's now. So don't get so obsessed with what's next that you miss what's now. I think that's the first thing that Jesus is teaching. Second thing I think Jesus is teaching is here is let God's kingdom move you beyond your borders. Look at the way Jesus describes the kingdom expanding. He says, you'll be, in my, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So Jesus describes this expanding kingdom that starts in Jerusalem where the people are culturally the same and geographically the same. But then it moves to Judea and Samaria where the people were culturally different but still kind of geographically close. I mean, it was just right kind of outside Jerusalem very culturally different, the people of Samaria, but still pretty geographically close. And then it moves to the ends of the earth where people are culturally different and geographically different. In fact, they're different in almost every way. Jesus has called us to be a part of a kingdom movement 
that is constantly moving us outward, beyond our borders. Jesus has called us to be a part of a kingdom movement that refuses, refuses, refuses to be limited by national boundaries or ethnicity or religious background or geography or cultural norms or anything. And as you read through Acts, here's one of the things that that you'll see as we study through Acts over these 11 weeks. You'll see that every time the disciples, and they tried, (laughs) every time the disciples try to turn this kingdom movement into something else, Every time they try to turn it and they try to limit the kingdom to one particular nation or one particular ethnic group or one particular piece of real estate or to one particular set of cultural norms or to the pursuit of political power, God just blows it up. He just blows it up, says, no, that is not what the kingdom is all about. And God continues to blow those things up. Because in every generation, there are those who try and reduce the kingdom of God down to something that it's not. A number of studies show that in the late 1700s, early 1800s, almost 90% of all Christians were white and lived in either Europe or the United States. Think about that. Almost 1800 years after the founding of this multi-ethnic, multicultural, global movement that refused to be defined by nationalism or ethnicity or geography or cultural norms. Almost 90% of Christians belonged to one racial group and lived in a fairly defined geographic area located in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, these statistics are the result of a couple things. One, they're the result of a gross underreporting of the spread of Christianity in Africa and Asia, either because those counting did not view people in that part of the world as fully human, like you're not gonna count and consider part of all this folks that you are convinced aren't even fully human, or because the forms of Christianity that were practiced in Africa and Asia didn't meet certain cultural norms. So there's a gross underreporting of the spread of the gospel there, but Those numbers are also the result of a church that sometimes loses its way. Sometimes the church has lost sight of this multi-ethnic, multicultural, knows no boundary movement that Jesus started. And every time that happens, God just blows it up. Historically, he just blows it up. Today, a little over 200 years after those statistics of 90%, of Christians being white, being in Europe or the United States. Now, a little over 200 years later, about 20% of Christians are white and living in Europe or the United States. The church is exploding, exploding, exploding in the global south. And Jesus' vision of a movement that is willing to move beyond its borders and be witnesses to the ends of the earth is being lived out. But the mission is not over. We have not arrived. The tendency to turn inward and not outward and put parameters around the kingdom has not magically gone away. So we must remain vigilant. We have to keep asking ourselves the question, what borders are limiting my witness? If I've been called to be a witness, what borders are limiting my witness? witness? Where have I become inward and just made the kingdom about me 
and my tribe. Maybe the borders are nationalistic borders, maybe they're racial borders, maybe they're political borders, maybe they're gender borders, maybe they're age borders, demographically driven borders, whatever they are. If we're gonna live out Jesus' call, we've got to be intentional about moving beyond our borders because the kingdom just keeps moving us beyond whatever borders that we tend to form, whatever boxes we tend to create, whatever limits we tend to put in place. That's just the way the kingdom works. Third thing is this. I think Jesus is teaching us that you have to decide what you're gonna bear witness to. Like you have to make a decision of what you're gonna organize your life around and bear witness to. The English word witness comes from the Old English, to wit, which I'm sure you use all the time. And to wit basically means to know something, to be aware of something. So the idea behind the word witness is that you're taking something that you know, you're taking something that you're aware of, and you're sharing it with others because you want them to be aware of it as well. You want them to know it as well. So when you share an article that you have read online with someone else, you're witnessing. When you share a funny video that you've seen on YouTube to someone else, you're witnessing. When you share a book that you've read or a podcast that you've listened to with someone else, you are Witnessing, There's something that you know or something that you've seen or something that you are aware of that you wanna make someone else aware of. So all of us, all of us are witnesses. Like the question is not whether you are a witness or not. Like, you know, sometimes we use the word witness, especially when we use it in the church and people go, ah, it makes me a little nervous. I'm not sure if I wanna be a witness. Like I, there's a lot of connotation with that. No, no, no. Like you are, like, it's not about whether you are a witness. All of us are witnesses. That's, I mean, you can't live your life and not be a witness. All of us know stuff, experience stuff, are aware of stuff that we want other people to know. So all of us are witnesses. The question is not whether you're a witness or not. The question is, what is it that you're bearing witness to? What are you bearing witness to with your words? What are you bearing witness to with the way that you live your life? So all of us have to decide, am I gonna organize my life around bearing witness to the greatest mission that the world has ever known? Am I gonna organize my life around bearing witness to the God who redeems and restores and heals and forgives and sets us free from anything that would enslave us? Or am I gonna spend my life bearing witness to lesser things? Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, this mission of advancing the kingdom to the ends of the earth is not going to get done just through me alone. Like that's what this whole ascension, I'm out of here, mic drop moment is all about. Is that yes, it's awesome that I'm here and yes, it's awesome these years that we've been able to spend together and I know that my physical presence is like important and you value that and all that and yes, that's really, really good but what he is saying to them is that the mission of advancing the kingdom to the ends of the earth is not going to get done just through me and me being here physically, as powerful it is for me to be here with you physically, while I'm here physically, Jesus is saying, the mission is limited. It's limited to a little geographic location and it's limited to a little small group of people. But Jesus is saying, by me dwelling within you through my Holy Spirit, there is absolutely 
no limitations, that now everywhere you go, I go. Everywhere you go, the presence of Christ goes. Everywhere you go, the message of the kingdom goes. So be my witnesses and take this message of redemption and restoration and forgiveness to the ends of the earth and let no boundaries stop you from that. And then the fourth thing is this. I think Jesus is teaching us, embrace your unique witness. It's not just that we are all witnesses and we have to decide like what, what we're gonna bear witness to. Like we are all very, very unique witnesses. And sometimes we talk about, are you organizing your life around bearing witness to the greatest mission that the world has ever known? Is that sometimes when we're in all these different channels of cultures, like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I need to, maybe I need to stop doing this. Maybe I need to stop being a doc. Maybe I need to stop being a lawyer. Maybe I need to stop being you know, IT person, teacher, whatever it is. Like, maybe I need to stop that and, and, uh, and, and just full-time go into this thing. I just need to like, be a full-time minister so I can, I can organize my life around bearing witness to the gospel. And, and I just want to say, first of all, what incredibly boring world that would be. I cannot imagine an any more boring world than where everyone is a pastor. So like you go to a party, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor too. She's like, oh, I'm gonna talk to someone else. What do you do? I'm a pastor. It's like, I, it's the most boring world possible. Secondly, secondly, so much kingdom activity would stop. There'd be no doctors, no nurses, no elementary teachers, no financial systems, no communication systems, no legal systems, no COVID-19 vaccine, none of that. Just a world filled with people who wanna talk all the time. Like how awful, how horrible would that be? So what's so cool about Jesus' call for all of us to be his witnesses is how unique everyone's witness is. Your unique witness is shaped by so many things. It's shaped by your, it's shaped by your gender. It's, it's shaped by your temperament. It's shaped by your personality. It's shaped by your ethnicity. It's shaped by your gifts, by your talents, by your passions, um, by all of that. It's shaped by your experiences, good and bad experiences. I was thinking about the Raj's testimony and what he shared about how he came to Christ over 30 years ago. And the way, I know Raj, the way in which that experience, both the awesome part of that experience and the awful part of that experience and the awful stuff that led up to the awful part of that experience, how much that has shaped his unique witness and you have a unique unique witness and whatever your unique witness is God can use that witness there are hands that only you can hold there are people that only you can be the one showing compassion to them. There are messages that only you can deliver. There are truths that will only be heard by certain people because you are the one delivering them. You can have the same truth delivered 
by two different people to the same person and it's rejected by this person and it's received by this person. And it doesn't have to do with the message. It doesn't have to do with the truth of the message. It has to do with the messenger. It has to do with the unique witness of the one who is sharing it. And every single one of you has a unique witness that is shaped by your personality, your gifts, your talents, your experiences, your gender, your ethnicity, your experiences, good and bad, that you have gone through and that you are going through. It is shaping you as a unique witness that God will be able to use in unique ways to advance the kingdom. So embrace your unique witness. There is only one of you. And your unique witness is needed if the mission is to be accomplished. Your unique witness, your unique voice is needed if God's kingdom is gonna come to Fairfax as it is in heaven. If God's kingdom is gonna come to this country as it is in heaven. If God's kingdom is gonna come to this world as it is in heaven. If, If the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus is going to go to the ends of the earth, your unique witness is needed. So embrace your unique witness. God, we are so thankful for the fact that you entrusted us, <laughs> entrusted us with this mission <laughs> that, you, that you said, I'm, I'm, I'm going, but I'm coming. I'm going, but I'm sending you my presence through your Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. Right here, right where you are, right with people that are just like you, but also with folks that are different than you all the way to the ends of the earth. Like there will be no borders, no boundaries that stop you. So be my witnesses. And Lord, we pray that we will embrace the unique witness that we have, that we will not set ourselves on the sideline because we have a different journey, a different story, perhaps different struggles and hardships. Whatever it is, that has shaped us, informed us in the kind of person that we are, may we allow you to redeem that, restore that, and use that to be your witnesses. And may we be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. And Lord, for those who are watching today, those who are in this space, who it's really hard to be a witness if you haven't experienced that which you are called to bear witness to, I pray, I pray that it will be in this moment that individuals say yes to the kingdom, yes to your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy that you provided for us for your, by your death on the cross and say yes. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Let's stand together and worship.